Every, every brewery has a cold room, and cold rooms for crying. This week, I'm finally talking to the elusive Barry of Lucky Envelope Brewery. Barry is a busy guy running my favorite brewery in all of Ballard, which is an impressive trophy considering all the competition. Stoop, Rubens, Peddler, Populux, all those places down there. And I personally think that Lucky Envelope brews the best beer. Let's listen to Barry talk a little bit about how he does it. Washington Beer Talk is supported by Craft Beer Club. If you're listening to this, then I suspect you're a big fan of beer. Craft Beer Club ships a monthly crate of carefully chosen beers straight to your door. If you need a good gift idea for the drinker that has everything, I bet they'd still appreciate a bit of beer. You can get delicious beer and support the Cycling Cicerone by following the link in the description on the blog or by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. My name is Barry Chan, and I'm the brewmaster at Lucky Envelope Brewery. We have the brewers, which are myself and our full-time brewer, Josh. Josh Yoker, Raymond Quand is our director of operations. And then we have a, our tasting room, uh, who's headed by Aaron Ross. And then we have sales guys, Matt and Jamie. You've been here for only three years. You've got a pretty sizable team. You're growing pretty fast. We're growing into our space, and uh, we've, we plan for a lot of expansion. And we're, uh, and, uh, we're just filling our tanks as fast as we can. So it's... Uh, In terms of filling up your space, yeah. you aren't quite like at capacity? You have enough fermenters? Yeah, so we have enough fermenters right now. We're pretty hyper-local, so we distribute within probably 10 to 20 miles of our brewery based in Ballard. In addition to our fermenters that we have in the back of house, we also have uh, a pretty large barrel program going in our next door warehouse space. Oh, okay. So um, even though we're not full of fermenters over there, we we'll are definitely take advantage of that space. And um, that's what we're doing, you know, traditional barrel-aged, whiskey barrel-aged beers, strong beers, uh, fun beers, as well as kind of that funk sour program. So that space over there is, that's a relatively new addition though. That wasn't uh, here initially, was it? No, it was not part of our lease, um, but we ended up picking that up about a year and a half ago. You probably followed the same tale as all this time. Home brewer wanted to turn into a real thing. How did you tell your version of that story? I've always been kind of a, a, a craft beer fan since, um, since college. Back in Pennsylvania, I'd always, you know, Victory Hop Devil was my first IPA. Technically, when I was 21. Wink. You know, it kind of opened my eyes to, you know, as much as I love yingling, things like that, there's, there's definitely a, a different world out there. So after the, my introduction to Victory, I kind of started spreading out and, you know, a lot of East Coast-centric things. And that continued as I continued graduate school in L.A. and then uh, as I moved up to Seattle. So what happened was I know that I was in L.A. at the time, and I was at LAX drinking a beer at the Gordon Beers Brewery uh, that they have at LAX Terminal in Southwest, something like that. I think I've actually been to that exact mm-hmm. one, yeah. Yeah, Mo took really good care of me. He saw me probably once a month when I was flying to visit my, uh, my fiancé. I was drinking a beer, and I was, you know, I was kind of in that IPA kick, and uh, I was drinking one of their classic German lagers, and I'm like, they should have put more hops into this. And then I had to kick myself. I realized that I was criticizing a beer that I had, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to brew beer, so why would I be criticizing something that I had no idea what the process was behind it? So it was a challenge to myself that um, once I got out of school, got some space, I'd start homebrewing and learn the process. From there, I moved up to Seattle uh, for a corporate job. And after that, kind of uh, picked up my homebrew kit from Bob's Homebrew Supply over in Ravenna. And that's kind of the story that you hear from a lot of Seattle homebrewers gone professionals. They'll pick up a homebrew kit, they'll kind of get into it, and then uh, things get a little bit out of control from there. 
How long was it from homebrew kits to looking for leases? Uh, I, I guess what year did you buy that? Two thousand eight was when I bought my homebrew kit. So you went from homebrew kits to looking to open a brewery in three years. Three and then, to four years, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. How did how did that period of time go? As a lot of people start out, like the the their first brews aren't necessarily the best. It seems like most of them is your first brew turns out really good, then your second one you overthink and then it doesn't. It's not very fun. Uh, and then a lot of people give up after that. That's kind of my observations of people that kind of get in the hobby. When my second batch didn't turn out very well, I was curious, so I started looking around, um, trying to find resources. So I had a few books, like uh, Designing Great Beers and, and How to Brew by John Palmer. So I think that was Ray Daniels and John Palmer. Uh, but those books, I could only get so much from. And then, um, so what I did is I started getting some podcasts. And for some reason, listening to people talk about beer ingrained itself in my head a lot better than having to just kind of read it in a book. Hmm. You heard it here. Barry says, listen to this podcast. So books are a great reference, but it clicked for me a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So I started out with uh, Basic Brewing Radio with uh, James Spencer and um, kind of went from there and just started diving into every single piece of beer knowledge I could find. And then um, with that kind of came the realization that as many people drink homebrew beer you invite friends over they're like oh this is great beer you should start a brewery and then I realized well people are going to say the beer is great because they're getting it for free that was probably 2011 I believe where I started entering homebrew competitions to try to get that totally unbiased feedback from there at that point it was was one of my first competitions I entered and my pale ale which is a relatively large category took second place and I was really happy about that and got the bug after that you know you feel that and it kind of remind me of you know competitive swimming in college and all that stuff started entering a bunch of competitions get that feedback you mentioned how competitive swimming kind of gave you uh or the winning a competition harkened back to competitive swimming mm-hmm. what did you did you study anything in college or anything else that maybe somehow spun off into this skill set i was a i was an engineering student in college but my intent when i was accepted into college was to become a chemistry major I loved kind of that, or like kind of high school level chemistry, biology, things like that. Um, even the first couple levels of um, of chemistry, One, the more complicated stuff didn't really appeal to me. It, so it was kind of a combination of you know I love beer, I love that that chemistry that I didn't have to know every single process behind it, but I I knew enough to understand the basics of it, and then kind of push me over to kind of putz around and. A little more complicated things, but I could at least specialize in it as opposed to going very, uh, you know, inorganic or organic chemistry. Okay. uh, Okay. What is your, and this is an impossible question, favorite beer of all time? I'll have to say, well, that's actually not too hard. I can can think of a couple. I guess I'll have to say Yingling. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's just, uh, it's easy drinking, simple beer, and, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's just a lot of that. That, nostalgia. It's all nostalgia. So it's yeah, it's not the best beer out there, but you know, when I go back to the East Coast, that's uh, you know, I'll go to the beer bars and get those beers, but then you know, after a couple of those, I'll just go out to the wherever and just get pictures of England. You guys are out here in Ballard. 
you're surrounded by a bunch of other breweries. Mm-hmm. How would you? How did you choose Ballard, or did Ballard choose you? How did you get lucky enough? Yeah, it was a combination of a few things, but uh, we, when we were looking for places originally, we thought of a few locations, and uh, Ballard was definitely one of those. Um, at the time, there were three breweries in the area and in in the immediate area. As we continued to look, and um, yeah, that was around the time 2011, 2012, so commercial space was pretty difficult to find. In the end, it just ended up being a really good stroke of luck where I was complaining to the right people at the right time. Somebody in the group was a, a realtor, so they gave us the heads up that there's a space that's for lease that's coming up. It's not in the market yet. It kind of went from there, and it, it took a lot of negotiation and kind of walking away from negotiations from time to time, but it was about three or four months later, we, we had a, a, a lease that we signed. Other locations included places like Queen Anne. Um, that, that Queen Anne was probably our top location, especially Upper Queen Anne, but everything was being developed so quick that there were no longer any affordable spaces up there. So after that, we started to kind of branch out and, and take a look around. But Ballard was definitely, it was just, there's so many breweries in this area, so it was definitely a destination that we thought that we could um, kind of be a part of. Um, I know a lot of people want to get in the area, but there's also there's also just the, for lack of a better word, crapshoot that mm-hmm. um, looking for commercial spaces. There's lots of other breweries around. How do you think of them as term, in terms of your competition? Um, it's a it's a very community focused, but I mean, yeah, technically they are competition. There are other breweries, there are other you know that technically vying for a customer's dollars. But um, overall, I think it's a it's a huge bonus because um, there's definitely strength in numbers. Um, you know, when you go to a festival and people ask where you are, all you have to say is Ballard, and they know you're one of the breweries in that district. I can walk from your brewery to. 11 breweries total kind of having a hub i mean i think of it very much as a kind of like a new york city's jewelers row i mean you have a giant concentration of people investing like you know they know if i want to go do some legwork and but i want to find definitely good product i'm going to go to this central location and then i can find my way from there definitely a, a destination and we're definitely surrounded by a really good company as well a lot of good breweries in this neighborhood. You friends with those guys? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of guys came from the same homebrew club as us, and I've known, I've known some of, a lot of the folks for from before being professional. So Adam from Rubens, uh, Pete at Populux, Kevin Klein from Northwest Peaks, Russell Everett from Bainbridge Brewing, mm-hmm. um, even uh, Kevin Davey who's now at Wayfinder, but he was with Gordon Biersch before in Seattle. You know, same North Seattle homebrew club. What do you think about some of the other areas? Are you happy with your setup here? Are you glad you wound up in Ballard? Do you maybe yeah. still look at other places and think what if? No, there's always the what ifs. Happy where we are and you know, if you if you keep dwelling on the what ifs, you can't look ahead. So we have our space, we're good with it, and um, we're just looking to to keep going, increase production, get our get product out to, to people that want the beer. But I remember back in the day, uh, I was here years ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking. You must have just opened because you and I actually met at that homebrew competition four months before y'all opened. I remember that. I remember judging there. That was uh, November Fest. I'd met you back then, and then after you came and opened a brewery, I came and I visited, and I, I was, I asked you how much it cost to open a brewery, and you gave me this funny answer that I'll never forget. It was, well, it costs somewhere between one and one million dollars. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> so I don't, I, that's the question in my head again, mm-hmm. but even though I know yep. that you won't want to give me an answer to that. 
Um, but I guess with that, I am noticing you guys have a really well fleshed out operation in here. Like this isn't messing around. You guys have a full office. You've got desks for everyone. You've yep. got a, <laughs> you've got the break room and the meeting yep. room. This is like, like, I don't know, a little mm -hmm. nicer than I, uh, have seen a lot of birds. Yes. It's fortunate because we do have a lot of space to spread out and everybody does have some room to have desks. But honestly, that's extra square footage and rent that we're not able to utilize for production, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But it just kind of comes with the space. But um, now that we have it, we can definitely take advantage of it. Okay. Yo, okay. So what you're saying is this is not really, you weren't necessarily aiming for this. This ended up being a sort of a byproduct of just getting what you could get. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Fair enough, because if you had half as much square footage, you wouldn't you wouldn't use all these desks up here. Yes. You'd say everyone shares one computer. <laughs> yep, and if we could get that and put that into like having a little back alley in the back back paved area in the alleyway, I would I would love to have that. But uh, <laughs> you know, we do have this, so people do have opportunities. But you know, some of it's sales guys, and they're also not here every day, mm -hmm. or okay. not every day, or they're only here for a couple hours a day. So. Mm -hmm. Is there any way you could use this area up here to brew beer? <laughs> like if you no, like we are not. knocked out this wall, put some ladders up here. And Zoning does not allow for that. Oh, so, no. Okay. <laughs> so we don't do any 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 beer-related stuff in the upstairs space. This okay. is strictly office. Um, go into that a little bit. I'm only a little bit curious about the kind of zoning stuff. So mm -hmm. what's the deal? Um, certain areas are zoned for certain use. If, say, you had a mezzanine area where uh, upstairs a loft or something along those lines, it would have to be load-rated for warehouse or brewing use so you couldn't just go into an upstairs space in an office and put up fermenter or anything because obviously the building was not designed for those loads could you put up a wall hide all this stuff back there and then make this new seating uh that would also be a loading thing really yes because it's a, it would be considered assembly space of okay. some sort the load rating would have to be designed for pretty much people to be standing shoulder to shoulder Mm -hmm. My former uh, career was structural engineering, so that's why I can uh, ah, okay. get into this. But um, yeah, so this is just office. You know, it's loaded for basic office use. Mm -hmm. But um, once you start bringing people up here as an event space, then um, the whole usage changes. And then um, I believe the building is not adequate in terms of occupancy as well as um, just loading. Interesting. So those licensing and those permitting kind of things, those are all like very important distinctions to make obviously you don't want to add too many people to the upper upstairs and then have it mm -hmm. you know collapse or be unsound i was going to be glib and say about uh, the parking lot at some point mm -hmm. you're allowed to say oh well the parking lot seating area now <laughs> we're <laughs> we're repermitting this mm -hmm. it's not for cars anymore mm -hmm. it's for people but i <laughs> of course people can stand in a parking lot so there's not gonna yep. really stop you there exactly that's um we we use it it's a temporary parking it's a temporary setup that we have so everything's movable so uh, it's not a permanent feature once everything becomes permanent then there's different licenses really? required yes okay that's why you kind of have um those portable fences and stuff and, yes yep okay interesting uh, is that the kind of thing that you would ever bother doing making it permanent we've been talking about it but there's, those are always things that are kind of a little bit down the road it costs planning costs money costs time to figure out and all that stuff mm -hmm. you don't need to bother with it just yet Let's talk about Lucky Envelope itself. So talk about the theming, how you decided on a, like Lucky Envelope. You kind of are, are you aiming to fill a niche, you know, mm -hmm. with your kind of beer? We went through a lot of, it, just like every brewery or when they're, when they're trying to come up with names for A, the brewery and B, their beers. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of beers and breweries that are already out there with names taken. So if you come up with a good idea, there's a good chance it's already taken. Did you have a good name that was taken already? Uh, nothing that really stuck. Uh, you know, we could have done another 
brewery named after my dog or something like that, but we kind of decided to, against that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, the, what we thought would be nice to do was pay some respect to our cultural heritage. If you're not familiar with it, the Lucky Envelope is a, uh, it's a red envelope. It's traditionally filled with money in the Chinese culture. The older generation will give it to the younger generation as a symbol of uh, prosperity and good luck for the future. This traditionally happens during uh, Lunar New Year, but it's definitely expanded out to a lot of any any significant event in a, in someone's lifetime. So, when my daughter was born, uh, we got a ton of pink Hello Kitty red envelopes, but they were pink, of course. Ray and I were brainstorming over a couple drinks. You know, that popped up. We're like, that's not a bad one. It's a, it's a way for us to kind of pay respect to. Um, our Chinese heritage without being too in your face and then have a little story behind it. In terms of your beer though, you don't brew a lot of Chinese themed beer. So recently I saw you did like the, the Buddha hand beer, Correct. which is probably the most Asian you've gone that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed you brew a lot of really, really stellar German beers. Mm-hmm. The, what we like to describe our beer is yes, we are like, you know, our, our beer or our brewery is named after uh, you know a Chinese cultural tradition kind of our tagline is culturally inspired beer so we don't have to just pull from chinese culture we want to pull from all sort anything that kind of inspires us as as a brewery as our as you know culturally or just from events from our our life for example uh you know our eniac ipa the mosaic ipa that we do um, eniac is named after the uh the first computer that was invented and that was at my alma mater university of pennsylvania so you know there's a little bit of a little bit of nod to where I came from. A couple of the other things that we'll do, like obviously German beers, they're kind of the grandfather of modern beer brewing. Those have always been close to my heart. When we brew those, it's definitely paying a lot of respect to tradition in like the purest Reinheitsgebot form. What cultures are there to draw mm-hmm. from? Yeah, so like you mentioned before, we do have, uh, we did the Buddhist Hand IPA, which is, um, you know, it's a fruit that I've been around for a long time, but it's just super aromatic. So, and it, Smells almost like a fake lemon. Um, lemon drop candies is what what Josh and I will say it smells like, except it's real. So that's a it's very common in Southeast Asia, but it you know we'll find it a lot in China as well. But I know that for air fresheners, you just take the fruit, cut it in half, and let it sit in a room, and it just you know stinks up the room in the best way because it's just so fresh and bright and, vi- and vibrant. We have done a few other Asian-inspired beers. Uh, the one that we've gotten a lot of coverage for that um, I don't know if you're aware of is our uh, the historic Chinese beer mm. that we made. There's a dig site in uh, Shaanxi, China. At the dig site, they unearthed a couple, couple pieces of pottery that had evidence of grain that might have been ground up. And around that time, it was pretty much, if you, find gra- if you found ground grain, there's a lot of evidence to say that it was probably used for brewing of an alcoholic beverage. We were able to get the arche- archaeological paper from the researcher from Stanford. And then so she sent that over to us. And then they had a breakdown of, you know, they, they did some, some tests on the grains that were ground. They're like, so they said, oh, yeah, it's probably 20% triticale. There's some millet in there. There's barley and a lot of ingredients tubers and flower, lily flowers and things like that. So we took that and we took the percentages and we made a beer based on that. So that was a really cool cultural heritage, uh, a cultural respect thing that we, we got from, the, from that paper and kind of definitely played into the Lucky Envelope theme as well. But then we also pull from our local community. Every uh, National Day of Sweden, um, we, make, we brew a uh, Jotlandsdrika, 
our neighborhood in Ballard has a very strong Scandinavian background. A lot of Norwegian, Sweden, Denmark, things like that. There's a historic beer that was brewed on the island of Gotland in uh, in Sweden, and um, you know it's made with it, it was very traditional, almost like a uh, a Finnish sati. They're they're very similar styles, even though they they'll argue that they're not. But it's it's brewed with you know smoked malt, and then um, very very traditional where you use juniper bows. Um, in your mash as you're separating aid. So, uh, you know, it's a smoky, junipery kind of, it has a lot of those notes of pine in the beer, and then traditionally it's just fermented with bread yeast, you know. So they, they would just take whatever they had lying around, and they're making bread, so they just take the yeast and, and let the yeast make some alcohol out of it. How does it feel to be dumping bread yeast into a beer? Yeah, so it's it's kind of, yeah, it's it's kind of two aspects of my brain, that go at it. I think a lot of people will say that we make, we don't have that many, like we don't make too many new beers because especially as we're starting out, we were just focused on just nailing a, a couple solid styles. So, you know, our lagers, our, uh, our Hellas lager, especially you know, our Mosaic IPA, you know, you get that really nice, easy drinking red. We've been spending a lot of time just doing that, but then there's also this part of me that wants to get a little creative. So back in the day, like during homebrew competitions, things like that, I, I throw Swedish or sorry, uh, Sour Patch Kids into a beer, and people loved it. They're like, yeah, it's not, it's not gonna win a medal, but it was just fun. I just wanted to see what people's feedback was. Blind. There's kind of that very simple. Like I like to keep brewing simple side. So in some ways, very like kind of German inspired. If I did that all the time, I would go crazy. So it's fun to play with weird ingredients and. Uh, throw peeps into a beer why wouldn't you for easter it wasn't one of our best ones and we'll probably never make it again but <laughs> oh man i'm sad i missed that yeah. one <laughs> but um what we want to do is make sure like and it, it really worked into our to our advantage with the awards that we got early on so you know within five months of us opening our hellas lager getting a bronze medal at the great american beer festival and then the year later our uh, mosaic our flagship the eniac mosaic ipa got a gold medal at the Washington Beer Awards for American IPAs, which is, you know, heavily entered category with a lot of really solid beers in there. With that, it definitely gave us a little bit more playing room to say, you know, we're not we're not making fun like I like putting stuff into beer, but I don't want to be pigeonholed as kind of the gimmicky. It just gave us a little bit of if you can develop that legitimacy and also and continue to perfect your foundation, then you can kind of take some artistic uh, takes from that. Speaking of perfecting your your roster, your base roster, um, I actually really enjoy it. You more or less cap out at 10 beers uh, ever on tap. Generally, yeah. Which, and, uh, and sometimes I come in and I've seen even less, like six mm -hmm. or seven might mm -hmm. be on tap at once. And um, honestly, I, I enjoy that more because that mm -hmm. means if I get a single flight, I've got it all. Mm -hmm. And I can come back and I can get two or three more pints that I really like. I can, I can spend time at the brewery and know that by the time I've left, I've got a pretty good feeling for everything you brew. Mm -hmm. And that's to contrast against breweries like Rubens, which, like, don't get me wrong, they're great, but they've got 30 beers on tap, mm -hmm. and no one got time for that. Mm -hmm. At least that's my opinion. I like I like being able to come to your place and go, guys, here's the Hell's Lager. It's my favorite beer in the mm -hmm. city. Just have it. And then they go, okay, great. There's, mm -hmm. And they don't have to look at it and go, well, I don't know. There's like 20 other nine, yeah. 29 other ones up there, all made by the same guy. I don't think that's going to be possible. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of like that you have a smaller smaller menu, that's, and I think yeah. that it makes sense that you've mastered them and I like yeah that. and we want to we want to keep it focused so I think there's a couple rotating ones in there but you know there's there's four ish that yeah. are just their mainstays whether they're you know the only two f guaranteed uh, year-round beers 
except that in the summertime when we sometimes run out of supply um, just because it takes so long. Is yeah. our, you know, the, our IPA is always on, mm -hmm. and then um, Hellas Lager. Yeah. Like, those are the ones that in the tasting room, I like, like, I feel like they, they need to be yeah. on. And then you have a couple takeoffs on that, but then we have our, you know, the raspberry sour, which... Mm -hmm. That's in there a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the red is in there a lot. Yep. The red is really, really good. The, mm -hmm. What's a brewer's beard red? Is that what you call uh, beardless it? Brewer, yeah. Beardless brewer. Beardless yep. brewer. That's right. Of course, yep. that one I really, really like. And I, I'm not usually super fond of the red mm -hmm. style, but when I, I tried that one because, of mm -hmm. course, I had to, and it was so good, and mm -hmm. I really liked it that it had, like, well, I won't try to remember my own drunken mm -hmm. recollection of this flavor, but, yeah. like, it was, yeah, it was really, really yeah, good. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, the reds, it's it's good because, uh, for me, I think a, a lot of the reds that you try out in the wild, they end up being American-style reds, which yeah. they use a lot more. They use more crystal malts to get mm -hmm. the color mm -hmm. in the beer. Um, for me, I like that malt forward, but... I didn't necessarily want to make it like a malt forward, like a maybe an English style beer. It has a lot of English malts in there, but then we add a little bit of crystal plus uh, some roasted barley to get it red, that, mm -hmm. that red color. So okay. it stays lighter and you don't get a lot of that kind of sweet. And sometimes you can get a metallic flavor, mm -hmm. um, kind of like licking a penny yeah. out of us in, in some reds where generally because it's a little bit older, you, you definitely can get those notes out of... Um, some American style reds. So right. I just want to make it a, you know, a malt forward, but slightly different take on it. And then, um, but easy drinking beer. So it only comes in at 5.4%. I got to take every opportunity I can to tell you to brew the Schwartz beer again. Cause that's my very <laughs> favorite. And like, yeah. I, I remember calling you up one day and saying, can I please fill a keg of this? And you were like, nah. <laughs> and then <laughs> heartbroken, yeah. <laughs> like waiting for you to start brewing that more often so that I can get a keg of it sometime. But because uh, that one was mm. really, really it good. It is really and nice. You can't get you you can't get a good Schwartz beer in in Seattle. So whenever that happens, it's uh, it's nice to have. But I think the two lagers that we really like to have and uh, are you know obviously the Hellas is a mm. great one, and then um, the one that is really really nice is the Vienna Lager. Mm -hmm. So Schwartz beer, I think we're hoping to kind of get maybe a one-off batch here and there. But you can't uh, have three lagers on tap exactly. in Seattle. You just can't support yep. it. Uh, it's a sad, sad truth. Oh, well. I'll keep going to the German beer bars I know. Well, and grabbing import Schwartz beer. I just get my Kostritzer from, yeah, from Prost or yeah. uh, Ken's Market. Yeah. And those are, those are really, really good. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if I'm going to be drinking German beer, my favorite way to drink German beer is out of a liter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, can't quite do that here. September 15th. I guess that's true. You guys do do Ballard Oktoberfest. Ah, Fest. September 15th, yes. Okay. So we will have a uh, East Ballard Oktoberfest. So th that's already in the works. That's it's the planned. one that's got the Oompa Band it's walking around. Oompa Band. Yeah. And, uh, so we'll, um, I think around then we'll have our Vienna Lager, which is, a it's a, it's kind of like an amber mm -hmm. traditional fest beer. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's what we'll have during that time. And we'll probably have a couple one-off lagers as well. What's your favorite beer that you've ever brewed? It's got to be the Hellas. Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite beer. Um, I'm really proud of that one, and it's um, you know we're still always continually working to to improve it. But it's I just I love the simplicity of it, um, and it showcases the malts. I mean I, I love malt in beer. It's um, that's my favorite part when I'm when I'm drinking. Let's see. Let's go back to talking about beer competition. So mm -hmm. you mentioned how you guys have won a couple of uh, a couple of medals um, for your ENIAC and for the Hells, mm -hmm. and those medals are up on your wall Correct. all the time. They're mm -hmm. always there. One question before we get into the meat of it: If you if you had won more medals on more beers, if you if you'd submitted more and mm -hmm. gotten more, would would those have? Is the medals what decided what made it onto your 
board permanently. Those two, those two beers have permanent spots on the board. Mm -hmm. They also both have medals. Mm -hmm. If you had more medals, would you have more permanent spots? No. Uh, I mean, we, we have more medals for other mm -hmm. beers, obviously. Well, uh, that sounds kind of a little bit weird. But, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let you get away with it. Yeah, obviously they got tons of medals for beer because their <laughs> beer is really, really good. Oh, thanks. Um, but the, you know, that was those were kind of when we were establishing the brewery from the get-go. You know, we wanted to have a solid West Coast IPA. So that was going to be the ENIAC. Um, that was a recipe I kind of worked on as a home brewer. And, you know, small tweaks here and there, but it's very, very true to the original homebrew recipe that I did back in 2013. Um, and then the Hellas Lager. That's been my favorite beer that I've been brewing since I started brewing lagers in 2011-ish. Mm -hmm. So um, we always, I, we knew that we wanted to have a lager on. We knew we wanted to have an IPA because IPAs are big, you know, they're popular beers. Yeah. So I, I think I heard a stat somewhere, and it might have been somebody might have pulled this out of nothing, but I've been repeating it uh, that IPAs outsell other beers four to one. Uh, it's not unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I was going to ask about beer competitions, mm -hmm. and the, a, a couple of breweries I've talked to recently, smaller breweries, mm -hmm. um, have mentioned small, so smaller even than you, but also actually older mm -hmm. in this case. Um, they were talking about how they don't really like the idea of competitions just in like as a concept because they've got lots of flaws obviously mm -hmm. like yes. it's hard to rank beers mm -hmm. and it's hard to actually properly taste them even yep. like certified judges or mm -hmm. you know making stuff up and um, um but they didn't really like the idea that beer styles as a thing right. existed mm -hmm. have you struggled with that at all like you brewed a style but like you know mm -hmm. you obviously like to brew weird things that don't quite yep, exist absolutely so yeah you know, i totally understand that um you know kind of that for me awards are nice um that's that's great but uh feedback is huge um for for me and I know, like, yeah, obviously there's a lot that goes on in, uh, in competitions when with judges as well as uh, like how competitions run or you know, age of a beer or if they collect entries two months early and they leave them stored warm, things like that. But um, it's kind of you got to sort through noise to get to kind of the core of, uh, of the feedback so we can, we can pick and pull from that. So, you know, we don't enter a ton of competitions, but you can kind of see trends uh, in, in certain beers that you enter, and then you know, well, they're looking for this, but they say it's not to style, but they like this, 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 and this, but you know, it's not technically to style because it's not like our beerless brewer red gets dinged for being too roasty, but that's that was the intent of it. But we, you know, so we don't, we're okay with that. We're not looking to definitely metal out, but it has that roasty character, which again, for me, it makes it a little bit more drinkable because it dries your palate out, mm -hmm. makes you want another another sip of it mm -hmm. so um you if there's there's always gonna be variability based on a judge's palate um there's also variability based on region so we know that there's definitely different taste profiles that are pro uh recommend like that are preferred you know when we enter beers in colorado versus washington state hmm. what do you mean certain beers just do better uh like well the washington like, state you're like you know ipas they love ipas out here it seems like you know different regions the hop character like some some areas like it more bitter mm -hmm. some areas like it uh, less bitter more hoppy kind of more modern flavors mm -hmm. and then some want it a little more caramelly so it's just different flavor profiles and what people are acclimated to is your beardless red on tap right now it is not 
damn it, all this talking about it, I really wanted yeah. some. Um, yeah, we, that's okay. it's a, I think it's going to be a, it's a fall slot to spring. Okay. Beer. Fair enough. Fall to spring-ish. You brew those two beers, you keep them on tap all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have, any, ever have any problems getting the ingredients for them? Like hot markets fluctuating yeah, or stuff uh, like that? We we don't necessarily when we first opened it was a little tough but uh, we we now have contracts for mosaic hops we are we don't have any difficulty sourcing the ingredients generally for those if if something happens and we can't get grains from Germany for our Hellas Lager we can you know there's there's a lot of good maltsters here but the German malt is the stuff I really love and honestly there might not be any rhyme or reason like you know there's nothing hard behind it but for me it's just kind of holding on to something that kind of from homebrewing days. It's almost an intangible. Yeah. Maybe. Obviously, Nostalgia. There, almost. There's obviously a difference between the malts. Like, mm-hmm. they got to be different a little bit, mm-hmm. but, but maybe it would be an imperceptible difference. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, yeah. but you can go to different German maltsters. There's a yeah. couple of different ones, and their, their profiles will be slightly different. You mm-hmm. might be able to taste them side by side, but if you're going to taste it, you know, at a bar, mm-hmm. two different bars, you're, they're going to taste very similar. Right. You import German malts for your lagers. We yeah, so we go th- we like most of our malts supplied by you know the two major malt suppliers in the United States, mm-hmm. Country Malt Group and Brew Supply Group. Mm-hmm. There's a couple maltsters that we occasionally work with. Um, one that comes up a lot is Skagit Valley Malting. I was gonna say, but um, you know, for the most part, we have uh, two stop shops using uh, those two those two groups. Tell me about your water. So we've actually talked about this in email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we talked about your water a little bit before. You're very particular about it, so yeah. talk about that a little bit. Um, this is kind of this is. I think this is a really fun part where um, I know a lot of people don't like to delve into the water chemistry, but that kind of is that you know understanding the whole surrounding concept is one of those things that kind of went back to my love of chemistry. It's it's not too complicated, but it's just nerdy enough where I can kind of pick at it without having to get super technical. Seattle has incredible water. We're incredibly fortunate for. I mean, it's effectively distilled water. I mean, we've got 20 parts per million of calcium and, uh, you know, chloride and everything else. Like, everything seems to be well under 50 parts per million um, when you look at the reports and everything as, as they come through uh, from the city of Seattle at the, at the Tolton, the Cedar Reservoirs. It's pretty nice because we affect for, we have a blank slate that we can do whatever we want with the water to accommodate our beer styles. So for each beer, we have different water profiles and that's just whether we want to accentuate the malts or the uh or the hops or we want something balanced what do you think about breweries like budweiser mm-hmm. lagunitas which is owned by heineken now um that just opened up down the street which mm-hmm. like i like their beers are really cool and their tap room is great but i can't get over the heineken ownership mm-hmm. part that i yep. in a part of my mind i want to riot against mm-hmm. um what do you think about that? Like, is there this like loom? Is Budweiser just looming threat to you, or mm-hmm. anything like that? It's definitely something to be aware of. Um, it doesn't pose an immediate threat, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be aware. The the big thing is crafty breweries, where posing as craft breweries mm-hmm. that kind of it deceives the customer. That's the and first time I've heard that term, crafty breweries. It's a lot of consumer education. We don't have the dollars to necessarily fight it the way that they that the way that they do it, where they'll offer certain beers. For eighty dollars a keg, even the, even at a loss, but effectively at a loss, but much cheaper than any other brewery that makes their own beer locally can afford to sell it at. But that's just kind of to take tap handle. So you see aggressive tactics like that. There, there, there's there's definitely some things that go on where you have to be aware of. But 
in especially in the Pacific Northwest, we're fortunate where there's enough small businesses that are aware of that on, on the on the bar side as well. They know how to fight those things, fight all that influence, you know, trying to get into grocery stores or large to get on into like an airport or something like that. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot more resources that, that, that breweries would need and we don't have that kind of power to do that. You self distribute. We are self distribute. You, I've seen your little van driving yep. around. Um, do you ever deal with distributors in the area? I know they like a lot of times carry a lot mm-hmm. of power and they can do that. They can they can sort of make and break some breweries. Mm-hmm. Do you even f with that at all? We stay out of it. Uh, we're friendly with. Uh, I mean, the the guys that run or the, you know the sales reps or the distributor reps, they're, they're nice guys. Um, I mean, we can say that. I mean, it's the same as uh, any any brewery that is owned by any like Budweiser or Heineken. The brewers are freaking awesome guys they're they're just they're brewers they're nerds just like mm-hmm. all of us in terms of the business side we again you, you've got to keep an eye out but there's a lot that we're working with um, you know the small craft beer bars that are aware of the things that go on that a lot of people don't recognize they they support us we support them and it kind of works really really well in that in that kind of relationship what was the hardest thing you have to deal with opening a brewery what was uh, the most out of left field like you know unexpected how to run a business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 I'm not breaking any new grounds by saying that, but you know, the business side is by far the hardest part. I mean, brewing beer is simple by, uh, by comparison. So, um, if you, if you have a business partner or you have somebody that has experience running a small business, that's wonderful. Um, if you have a good, uh, somebody that's familiar with the, the beer industry, somebody that's been a bartender or a bar manager for several years, that, that'll, that'll help you out a lot. So you came into this knowing how to brew beer, yep. and then had to pick up all the business stuff. Uh, my, that's and that's where my business partner Ray comes in. Like he's a he's a, he's a finance background, mm-hmm. so he's got the uh, he knows how to do his reports, his quarterly reports mm-hmm. and uh, profits, P and Ls, and all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, so that's something that I don't handle, and we always we knew going in that he was going to handle that. All right, let's do a lightning round of questions. How old are you? 36. <laughs> you can give or take a couple of years. Yeah, 36. <laughs> 36. Okay. What's your favorite color? Blue. When did you really start drinking? 21. <laughs> Can't trick you. Uh, when was the last time you cried? Just kidding. You don't have to answer that one. Yesterday. <laughs> Why? I have a kid. Oh. Oh, what did she do? <laughs> no, that's what the... Every brewery has a cold room, and cold rooms for crying. Thanks again, Barry. It was a pleasure hanging out with you at the brewery. Stop by Lucky Envelope in Ballard. Gigantic Bicycle Fest is a three-day festival of music, biking, and the arts, and this year, yours truly is hosting the Beer Garden. If you want to help out, or if you're a brewer that wants to serve your beer at our Beer Garden, then hit me up. If you love biking, camping, art, or any combination of those, then register for a ride at giganticbicyclefest.org and use my promo code BEER for half off your admission. You can register for a 50-mile ride, a century ride if you're bold, or just come and enjoy the music festival and beer, August 24th to 26th. See you there. For the next few weeks, Washington Beer Talk is going on the road. I'm going to Minnesota, and there I'll be talking to a bunch of breweries about what it's like to brew beer in their state. Get ready for the on-the-road edition of Washington Beer Talk. 
Thank you so much for listening. This has been Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone. If you want to get more episodes of the podcast, then go to cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast. They're all up there. You can get it on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, most of the places you can get podcasts. Don't forget to check out Craft Beer of the Month at cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to support the podcast and get tasty beer.